Good morning. Welcome to Picton Baptist, and it's a joy to come together and worship the Lord. Lovely singing. I love that line there that says, Your glory fills this place. And I was just saying, Yes, Lord, come and fill this place. And not just this place, but our hearts. Amen? Amen. And indeed, we know that when Jesus comes again, and he brings new heaven to this earth, and this earth will be renewed, I know that the whole heaven and earth will be filled with his glory. So it's a, it's a joy to be together to worship him. So welcome, everybody. So my name is Daya, for those of you who are visiting. So it's uh, my privilege now to bring you the word of God. Stu mentioned during the notices that I'm shifting, my family and myself are shifting home. We are very blessed. The Lord has provided a house for us, and that is a house of our own. This past week, we made a purchase, and we waited for that. We waited patiently for that, and then finally, the Lord has given us the ability to make that purchase, and it has come. It has come, and so we are, we are thankful, and we are very blessed. Some people have told me, you're very lucky. You know, that, that at this uh, state of, of real estate, you know, the market is just so hot. You're very lucky that you were able to, to buy a house. And I was thinking, not really lucky, but blessed. Right? We are blessed. And as I was just thinking about that, you know, if you have any need, just wait for it. And at the right time, you'll get it. God is going to provide for your need. And so, blessed be the name of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And go on and myself... You know, I've been thinking about what to do with the house, you know, how to make it look nicer, how to improve it. But some people have come back to us and said, no, don't, don't rush. Take your time. Take your time. But I guess, and I was thinking about it this morning, isn't it, isn't it true that when Jesus comes to dwell within you, he has plans for you? Amen. <coughs> Like, like, there's a home, a new homeowner, and he's got a plan for the roof. He's got a plan for, for the layout of, of the living room, etc. And I was thinking, isn't that so true? When Jesus came to my life in 1995, he has been doing some renovation in my life, you know, and he's not yet done. And I thought, wow, that's a timely message for the new year, isn't it? Is God done with you yet? I suppose not yet. So he has come to take possession of the property and you belong to him. You are his temple. He, dwell with, he dwells within you and he's a great program. He's changing us from glory to glory. That's amazing. Last week I spoke with you to you about the theme of our church this year which is filled to overflowing. I love that image. Do you love that? You've got a glass that is full of water and it's overflowing. And I just love that. And you know, this, this whole theme of filled to overflowing, God gave that to us. God gave it to me this last year. Uh, you know, at our AGM, I introduced this to you. It's just so beautiful. Because that, I think, is the plan of God for, for us as a church, as a group of people, and individually that we would be like that glass there that we would be full of all the good things from God. And out of that overflow, out of the fullness, we would overflow to our family, to our neighbors, 
etc. So I want to continue dwelling on this. And this week, I was just praying, you know, Lord, what do you want me to share to your church? And what the Lord has given me is, I'm sure you would love this, what the Lord has given me was, all right, Dale, I want you to, to do a series of messages on a book of the New Testament. And that is the book of Colossians. All right? And so this morning I want to begin a new series of messages on the book of Colossians. It's a, it's a lovely book of the New Testament, and we'll begin it today. And Stu also mentioned that actually beginning this week I will be away on leave, which is actually very timely for, for, for house moving. You know, I didn't, you know, we didn't set the house moving, you know. What I wanted to say was the, the leave was planned last year. It all, the timing is turning out to be very, very good, in fact. So, we will begin it today, and we've got Alf and uh, Alf Miller coming in to preach while I'm away, and then when I come back, we will pick up on this theme. All right, so, this um, new series that we're doing, I have given it the title, Filled to the Fullness of Christ. Filled to the fullness of Christ, because that is exactly what the book of Colossians is all about. Um, the book of Colossians is an amazing book of the Bible. Um, it's a very, very short book. It has only 95 verses spread out in four chapters. But it's a wonderful book. It really packs a punch. And what Paul does in Colossians is he writes to a church that he has actually never visited before. And yet he takes a very personal interest in their life and well-being. Now, in this book, Paul is particularly concerned about a certain set of false teachings that have emerged at the church in Colossae. And Paul writes largely to counteract those heresies that have arisen in the church. And so I've given this series the title, Filled to the Fullness of Jesus Christ, because indeed that is what this book is talking about, the fullness of Jesus Christ in the church. And so what this book of Colossians does is it presents a big, bold, beautiful picture of the Christian life with Jesus Christ at the very center of that life. And so whether you're dealing with the same problems as the Colossians faced or not, the answer is still the same. Keep Christ at the center and everything else will take care of themselves. And so this morning what I want to do is to focus on chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Just those two verses. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which we're going to read and after that we will pray. Let's have a look. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn with me to Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2. If you have no Bibles, don't worry. We've got the, the passage on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers, and of course, that doesn't exclude the ladies, all right? <coughs> Brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 
May the Lord bless the reading of this word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, for the spiritual and physical freedom we have as your church to come together and open up your word and to let you speak into our lives from your word through your spirit. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What does it mean to live a life that is Christ-filled and Christ-centered? Have you thought about that lately? What does it mean to live a life that is Christ-filled and Christ-centered? That is the question we will be exploring today and throughout this series as we work our way through the book of Colossians together. But before we get there, we need to understand a little about the background of this book. And so let me share with you first a little about the city of Colossae. And then after that, I want to share with you a little bit about the church there. So let's begin with the city of Colossae. Colossae was located about 100 miles east or inland from the city of Ephesus. And it lay on the southern bank of the Lycus River in modern-day Turkey. It was located on the main road from Ephesus to Euphrates and was part of a three-town area that included the nearby cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis. Laodicea and Hierapolis were both larger cities than Colossae, and they both had established Christian churches there as well. As you can approximate from the map, Laodicea was about 10 miles to the west of Colossae, and Hierapolis was about 12 miles to the northwest. Now, Colossae was located in a fertile valley region with large crops of olives and figs. The whole area was also subject to frequent earthquakes. 400 years earlier, Colossae was a much larger and wealthier town with a large and thriving wool trade. But by the time of the Apostle Paul, Colossae had considerably shrunk. The neighboring cities of Laodicea and Hierapolis had grown in importance, and Colossae just became a small town by the river. In another 400 years after Paul, it wouldn't even exist anymore. All you can see is just ruins. Now, Colossae was a very diverse city with people from lots of different backgrounds with all sorts of beliefs and teachings. There was a mixture of Jews and Greeks and a fairly large Jewish population dating back to the time when Antiochus, this was 200 years before Jesus was born, when Antiochus settled 2,000 Jewish families in that valley. By the time of the Apostle Paul, there were anywhere from 10 to 50,000 Jewish people living in that region. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the church at Colossae. 
one of the interesting things about the church is that Paul had not actually been there. Most of the letters that Paul writes are to churches that he himself planted. But he had actually never visited the city of Colossae and had actually never seen the church there. The church at Colossae was most probably planted by a man called Epaphras. Are you familiar with that name? Epaphras. Epaphras was one of Paul's fellow workers. He probably came to faith in Christ when Paul was ministering in nearby Ephesus. Paul spent a long time in Ephesus, did you know that? Over two years in Ephesus. And we read uh, in the book of Acts that while Paul was in Ephesus and ministering there, the book of Acts tells us that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. Acts 19, verse 10. Epaphras is mentioned several times in the letters to Colossians. In chapter 4 of Colossians, Paul tells the Colossians that Epaphras is one of you. And so probably Colossae was Epaphras' hometown. Now, interestingly, there's another person that we know of in the New Testament who lived in Colossae, and that was Philemon. Is that a familiar name to you? Probably more familiar than Epaphras. Philemon. You might know that name through the letter in the New Testament that bears that name, Philemon. In fact, it is likely that Paul wrote the letter to Philemon at the same time as the letter of Colossians and sent both letters to Colossae at the same time. Now, the question, of course, is why would Paul, who actually did not visit the church, who did not know that church, who has never visited that town, why would he want to write a letter to that church? Now, we know that when Paul wrote the letter, he was in prison. Um, And Epaphras had visited Paul in prison, and he brought Paul some report about the Colossian church. It was mostly a positive report, an encouraging report, but Epaphras also shared with Paul about the false teaching that was beginning to infiltrate the church there in Colossae. And so what Paul does is he was prompted by the Holy Spirit to write this letter in response. In other words, to help the Colossians to counteract the heresies and at the same time to help the believers there to really stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a little bit of background about the city as well as the church. So now I would like to tell you um, just an overview of the letter itself. There is something interesting, though, about, um, about the fact that a letter in the New Testament, out of the 27 books of the New Testament, one of them was written to a tiny, a wee tiny church by the river. Reflect on that one. This was just a small startup church, and yet God cared enough about them that the Lord, by His Spirit, directed a letter 
which survives to us today, which has become a part of God's word, to be written to that particular congregation. What does that tell us? It doesn't really matter how large or how small your church is. If you are a Christian church, then God cares about you. He he cares about us. All right, so let's take a look at the actual letter itself. And so we know that Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. And we know, too, that he was in prison several times. And so we're not quite sure which of those imprisonments, you know, that Paul wrote this letter. He doesn't say where he was when he wrote this. When you read through the letter, he doesn't say where he was. But my guess is that Paul was most likely in prison in Rome, which we read about in Acts 28. Alright? Acts chapter 28 talks about Paul being in prison. My guess is that it was during that particular imprisonment when Paul wrote this letter. Now, we do know that Paul writes three letters from prison at the same time. And that's the letter to the Ephesians, to Philemon, and to Colossians, all at the same time when he was in jail. And what he does is he gives these, three, these letters to his fellow worker, Tychicus, who then delivers, delivers them to the various recipients. And so just a little bit of an overview there about the background of the book. Now, let me tell you about the content of this particular book. When you read the book of Colossians, you see it says four chapters. The first half of the book focuses on the person and work of Christ. Chapters 1 and 2. And the second half focuses on the new life of the believer. And so when you put the two parts together you come out with a major theme. And that theme is that Christ is first and central. Now, chapter 1. Chapter 1 tells us that Christ is the creator and sustainer of the world. He is the head of the church. He is the reconciler of all things. And then in chapter 2, we see Christ being introduced to us as the source of all wisdom, and knowledge. Christ is fully human and fully divine. He is the deliverer from sin and evil, and that he is the fulfillment of the Jewish law. Beautiful. Are you with me? Amen. Yeah, amen. This is beautiful. This is lovely. This is great stuff. So that's the first part, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now the second part, The new life of the believer. You've got chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 3 talks about the Christian's new relationship with Christ. The new desires of the believer. I love that. When you are a Christian, you've got new desires. And all the more as you progress in your Christian walk, God transforms your desires to be really Christ-like. And then it goes on. Your new behavior, new practices, your new relationships with other believers, and your relationships at home, with your wife, with your children. And this goes on beyond chapter 3 to chapter 4, where Paul begins to talk about your mission as a Christian. 
that yes, Christ is in you, you are in Christ, and therefore you have a mission in the world as a believer. Lovely stuff. Great stuff. Very encouraging. Great stuff for the new year, isn't it? All right. Lots of background there. But I'm glad that you're hanging on to it, right? You're with me. Now we move on to those two verses, all right? Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We will finish our time with this. This is the introduction of Paul to the letter. And what he does in these verses is he presents to the church his authority. And he also talks about the identity of the church, that this is who you are as a church. And then he gives them a word of blessing and greeting. So let's begin with verse 1. Paul says, he identifies himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So what he does here is he presents his authority as an apostle. Paul has an authority, even though he actually didn't meet the church yet, but he had an authority to write to them because he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, do you know what the word apostle means? The word apostle means an official representative chosen by the one being represented. Paul says, He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. In other words, he is saying, I am an official representative chosen by Christ, and so I represent Christ. Originally, the word apostle applied to the twelve apostles. We know them. Peter, John, etc. Originally, that word applied to them. The apostles, something unique about them was Uh, they witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All the twelve did, except Judas, Iscariot, all the twelve apostles, plus the apostle Paul, witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they were appointed by Christ, given authority by him, and entrusted with the message of the gospel. We know what happened to Paul. He wasn't part of the original twelve But we know what happened in Acts chapter 9, right? Where he was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church there in Damascus. So that was what Paul was, B.C., before Christ, before he became a Christian. He was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church there. And on the way, the sovereign Lord, risen Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to Paul in a vision. And Paul became born again. He was born again that day. Hallelujah. And that was also the time when Paul was appointed by the Lord himself, risen Lord. But Paul, Jesus said, Paul, I appoint you as my representative. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And you know that Paul was never the same after that. He was the greatest persecutor of the church before he met Christ. After he met Christ, he was the greatest evangelist. That's why Christianity reached Europe. And eventually from Europe, it reached Aotearoa. Amen. Because of that one single individual who wrote this particular letter we're studying today. This is great stuff. 
very encouraging for our faith. And so Paul was an apostle. He says, an apostle of Christ. And he adds, by the will of God. I think that is, not, I think that is very important. What it means is that Paul did not apply for the, for the position. He did not volunteer for it. He was appointed. He was called to be an apostle, commissioned by God himself. And we know, of course, who is God, is that Jesus, or God the Father. We don't have to split hairs over that because we know that the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are one, although they are distinct persons. So he is an apostle by the will of God, by the choice of God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know, we know, as I mentioned to you, that in this letter, Paul refutes false teachings that have arisen in the church in Colossae. And so it's really important for him, right at the very start, to establish his authority, his God-given authority, from, you know, from, from God. Now, I was thinking about this, and we too, we live in 2021. We are called to defend the faith. We are called to defend the Word of God against heresies, against false teachings, against attacks from the world, against Satan, and against doubt within our own hearts. We are called to defend the Word of God, just like Paul does in this letter. Amen? We are called to do that. There is a difference, though. The authority of Paul's message came from his apostleship. Christ appeared to him. Our authority does not come from the fact that the risen Lord has physically appeared to us. Why do we believe in Christ? Is it because we've seen him physically with our eyes? Perhaps you have had visions of Christ. I haven't had. But I believe in the Lord. I believe strongly in Him. And I love Him, even though I haven't seen Him. I've seen Him by faith, though. Our authority does not derive from any physical encounter or vision with Christ, but it is derived from the very Word of God that has come to us in this book. Are you with me? And that is why today, day by day, we live by this word. We love this word. And we defend this word from Satan. Satan wants to attack the word of God and he wants to discredit our confidence in the word and we are called to stand firm in our confidence in God's word. Paul mentions Timothy in verse 1. That doesn't make Timothy a co-author of Paul. What it does is simply saying that Paul is with me and together we send greetings to you. Timothy is a brother in Christ who ministered many years with Paul, as we know that. And he is with Paul when, he wrote, when, 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 when he, Paul writes this letter. And we know that there was a very good disciple and mentor, mentor and mentee relationship between the two of them. So that, in fact, Paul was the spiritual father of Timothy, and Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. That's why he includes him here. We move on to verse 2. 
to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So in other words, it's really amazing. Think about this. Paul did not actually meet the church in Colossae. Didn't know personally these people. And yet when he writes to them, he says, my faithful brothers, and that includes the women, sisters in Christ. And of course that makes us all a family. Right? A family in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's um, something quite, I think it's quite significant in that expression. Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Alright? want to just reflect briefly on the word holy. Holy. Do you often hear that word Holy. Holy Church, holy brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. The word holy is quite, it's really simple. It means that we have been set apart. We have been chosen for God to be holy for Him, for His purposes. There's another word there that says, this faithful. Faithful. Well, in the Greek, that's just one word, but actually when you translate that into English, you can come up with all different words, but they all complement that same idea. And in the Greek, you know, pistois, which in English you can come up with believing, steadfast, and loyal. All of those adjectives describing the church in Colossae. They're all inseparable concepts, all describing that particular congregation. And then Paul says, in Christ. I love it. It's good that he adds those two words. They are not simply the church in Colossae, but they are the church in Christ, in Colossae. Once again, that puts Jesus Christ right at the very center of everything. In other words, the identity of the church in Christ is far more important than their geographical location. When I think about ourselves, what really matters, of course it's important. We are Picton Baptist Church in Picton. We bear that name, Picton Baptist Church. But even more important than that is that we are a church in Christ. Amen? We are in Christ. Our spiritual location is actually more important than our geographical location. We are in Christ. In Picton. The Lord Jesus is everything. He means everything to us. He is central to us. And he deserves the preeminence. And so what Paul does is that he traces out the identity of the church for us in his opening remarks. The fact that they are holy and faithful marks them out as believers. The fact that they are brothers and sisters means that they are a family. And most important of all, that spiritually they are in Christ. They belong to Him. 
And then I will end with the last phrase there. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. It's actually a greeting which is also a blessing at the same time. If you write an email to a friend, you might want to include those words as a greeting, but at the same time, blessing. I want to bless them. Grace to you. Grace and peace to you from God the Father. Now, we know this is typical of the Apostle Paul. In every letter that he writes, he, 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 has the, he says those words. It combines the common Greek greeting of grace with the common Hebrew greeting of peace, shalom. And all that comes from God our Father. God the Father is the source of all true grace and peace. But there is something interesting I want to point out you know what, in, in most letters of Paul, what he does is, he would say those words, but he wouldn't stop there. He would add the following words. And the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is very unusual for Paul to write those words, and some words are missing, as it seems. The Lord Jesus Christ is missing. Now, there is only one other letter of Paul where he doesn't include Jesus Christ as well, and that is in 1 Thessalonians, and there it's even, more, it is even shorter. What he does there, he says, grace and peace to you, full stop. He doesn't even say, God the Father. <clears throat> now, in fact, there have been some overzealous, you know, scribes, of the Bible that have actually added and tried to complete that sentence by adding our Lord Jesus Christ. They thought that, you know, there was an error there or something. And so they added it in the copies. So I, I want to ask the question here, what is going on? At verse 2. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul had just mentioned God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, so probably he was trying to avoid being so repetitious, and because of that he didn't actually mention God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ again, because a few verses uh, back he already mentions them. But when we look at this one, just right at the beginning of the letter, he doesn't mention Jesus Christ. What is going on here? And my suggestion is perhaps Paul is trying to say something to the church at Colossae. And what is that? Probably the point is just that. Guys, in your church, Christ is being left out. And I want you to see this right at verse 2. I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention Jesus Christ here so that you will realize that within your midst, Christ is being left out. And I thought that may well be the reason why Paul does not actually mention the Lord Jesus Christ. The church in Colossae was leaving him out. Are you still with me? Yes. All right. All right. 
We'll have some music in the background, Steve, as I bring this to a close. Christ is central. Christ is number one. Let me ask you the question. What is central in your life today? What comes first in your life? What has priority in your life? What does everything else revolve around in your life? God calls us as believers, as Christians, to be Christ-centered and to be Christ-filled. We are called to a Christ-centered and Christ-filled life. Do you hear the calling of God upon your life today? Do you hear the voice of the Spirit encouraging you to welcome Christ into your life today? Make Him central. Welcome Him fully into your heart. Jesus Christ is central to the world. He is central to the church. He is central to history, as we know, B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. History pivots around Jesus Christ. He is huge. Hallelujah. Christ is huge. He is big. He is almighty. But is he huge? Is he central in our lives today? Or is he small in our lives? My prayer is that as we study this letter of Colossians together, that you and I will be encouraged and strengthened to live exactly this kind of life, centered on Christ, filled with him, and that we may know the joy of living in him and living a life that is filled with him. I'd like to give you a few moments to just talk with the Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us today. Holy Spirit, thank you for your voice. Thank you for enabling us to respond to you, Lord. Lord Jesus, yes, you are our Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, you are central in everything. We want you in our lives, O oh Lord, to dwell within us fully by your Spirit. We want you, Lord, to fill us and fill us to overflowing. 
Fill us with joy. Fill us with hope. Fill us with peace. Fill us with scripture, with your word. Fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. And out of the fullness, we would overflow individually and collectively as a church. And that through your body, this town and this region would be blessed, truly. Through Christ, by the gospel, and for the glory of God. Blessed be your name, O Lord. And I pray now that your spirit would indeed descend upon us again. Holy Spirit, that you would descend on us afresh. And fill us by your, by your, with your presence, O Lord, today. Blessed be your name, O Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I mean...